This week on the show, we have OpenBSD 6.4 released. GhostBSD RC2 is also available. We remember our good times at NeatBSD, the ultimate hallway track conference, Dragonfly BSD desktop on a ThinkPad tutorial, uh, porting Keybase to NetBSD. We cover OpenSSH version 7.9 and the new draft IATF six-man IPv6 only flag in FreeBSD in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 270, Ghostly Releases, recorded on Halloween, which is the 31st of October, 2018. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Alan Jude. And while we have a lot of stuff for you, since we're back from Meet BSD, a couple of things have accumulated, uh, but we'll go through them uh, one by one, either in this episode or the next one. And it starts off this week with the OpenBSD 6.4 release. Yeah, lots of interesting stuff. They have a detailed change long uh, available for what's different between 6.3 and 6.4 uh, and the instructions to go download that and so on. Um, but some highlights that I picked out um, for VMM, the, Beehi- or the OpenBSD hypervisor, uh, they've added support for QCOW2 disks uh, and snapshots. So QCOW2 is the disk format from QMU, uh, but it does copy on write so that you can create snapshots and so on of your VM image files. Uh, and so inside the disk format, it has support for snapshots and so on. And they have native support for that now in VMM. And uh, I know some people working on porting that to Beehive as well. So oh. that'll be really nice to be able to, A, use existing QCOW images, but uh, being able to have snapshots and features like that without necessarily depending on you know, FreeBSD and a Zvol or whatever. Yeah, that is good uh, for the VMM uh, folks. Yep. Also support for VM templates and deriving instances from those templates using their vm.conf. Um, if you're a road warrior, their new uh, join subcommand for ifconfig is very useful for Wi-Fi. Uh, so you can check out the ifconfig man page for that if you're interested. Um then they have some installer improvements, including by default now creating user OBJ as a 5-gig partition and user local as a 20-gig partition if you use the automatic disk partitioning. <clears throat> uh, for security improvements, there's a lot of work gone into that in the latest OpenBSD. The one is the new unveil system call uh, is now available. It extends pledge, basically, and uh, restricts file system access and a bunch of applications are using that now. They've implemented um, the memstack option for mmap, uh, which basically causes uh, for uh, page faults and syscalls, the kernel will check that the stack uh, pointer points to a map stack memory and not somewhere else. Uh, so that stops attackers from being able to do stack pivots. Uh, they've added the retguard security mechanism for AMD64 and ARM64. So um, for each function, you have a random cookie to protect access to function return instructions, making it harder to have uh, the ROP gadgets to be able to use existing code chained together to make an exploit. Um, For Clang, they've actually included a a pass in the Clang compiler that identifies common instructions uh, which may be used as ROP gadgets and replaces them with safe alternatives uh, for AMD64 and i386. Um, the retpolline mitigation against Spectre Variant 2 is enabled by default on Clang and in some of the assembly files. Uh, the Spectre RSB mitigation is also available. Uh, and Intel L1 terminal fault mitigation is available. And if your hardware supports PCID, um, then uh, it'll be used and have a separate user and kernel uh, thread for each TLB. They also extended the meltdown mitigations to i386, and AMD64 now uses eager FPU switching instead of lazy FPU. Uh, and because simultaneous multi-threading uses uh, core resources are shared in an unsafe manner, uh, they disable it in software by default now uh, in the latest OpenBSD. And another interesting one is they've disabled support for recording audio by default. 
you have to specifically enable kern.audio.record if you want uh, any application on the system to be able to use your microphone. Ah, so that no one can listen in through applications because it's enabled by default until now. Yeah, you know, the joke uh, with the VSDs was always, I wish the NSA would spend the effort in getting my webcam working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, well. Lots and lots of other improvements uh, available. And newer yeah, up versions of, drivers. of Open SMP PD, Open SSH, Open, or sorry, Libre SSL, um, Mandoc, ports and packages, and so on including uh, pre-built packages for lots of architectures, uh, about 10,000 for uh, i3-6 and AMD64, 8,000 for ARM64, uh, 9,000 for PowerPC, 7,000 for MIPS and Spark. Mm, that's a lot, yeah. Including uh, Chromium 69, uh, Emacs, GCC, GIMP, Go, uh, LLVM 6, uh, Firefox 60 ESR and 62, uh, and on and on and on. Yeah, it's a, it's a big release. A lot of things have mm -hmm. changed or were added. Uh, so yeah, congratulations, OpenBSD. Yeah. And uh, yeah, people should try it out, of course, if they haven't done so already. I mean, the release was uh, October 18, um, but we only got to it now. So, yeah, definitely if there's something new to report or if you have something interesting that you're doing it with uh, or that you're now doing with OpenBSC that you couldn't do before, then uh, let us know. So, next up, uh, another release. Not the final release yet, but it's a release candidate uh, of GhostBSD 18.10. Uh, RC2 is here. And so, on their website, they announced that the second release candidate of OpenBSD 18.10 is the second official release of GhostBSD uh, with TrueOS under the hood, uh, with the official desktop of GhostBSD being made. Uh, however, in the future, there might be an XFCE community release, uh, but for now, there are uh, no community releases yet. And you can find a couple of screenshots here. Yeah, so As, if you're interested in the, the process and what they're talking about for community releases... Uh, check out the video from Chris Moore's talk at MeetBSD, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, but now, building your own release, uh, or your own distro, basically, or spin of TrueOS or GhostBSD is a matter of modifying the manifest files. So GhostBSD is now based on top of TrueOS, and there's a manifest file that makes GhostBSD. If you wanted a version of GhostBSD that was XFCE or whatever, you could take the GhostBSD template for TrueOS, modify it a bit to have the software you want uh, and run it through their thing and you would get out, you know, XFCE BSD or whatever you want to call it. Mm. And so um, the changes uh, since the RC1, the release candidate one, are that they removed the DRM stable K-Mod and they will let users uh, install the proper DRM uh, K-Mod from, from ports. And um, they added also the libva Intel driver uh, the libvd power driver to support accelerated um, some video drivers for Intel. So if you have some of yeah, those, so it's if you're trying to play back uh, video, it'll use the H.264 decoder built into the video card. Mm -hmm. And a couple of uh, found issues were fixed since RC1. That's why you should report any issues and try out the release candidates because that way they can be fixed before becoming uh, part of the official release. So the more stuff they find before being uh, released, the more uh, bugs are out. And um, yeah, so you basically to update from RC1 to RC2, you do package update dash F and then do package install dash F libarchive curl and libgksu and then sudo package upgrade and there you got it. There are more instructions and some uh, background information on the website, of course. Uh, so Definitely check it out. And kind of, uh, as we mentioned a bit, as part of OpenBSD uh, 6.4 uh, was the release of OpenSSH 7.9. <clears throat> yeah, that's, so, that's warrant, warrants its own entry because it's a mm -hmm. software release in itself. 
So there are two incompatible changes. So you'll need to watch out for these if you're upgrading. Uh, the first is that SSH and SSHD, the setting of the CA signature algorithms options, bans the use of DSA keys as certificate authorities now. So make sure that you don't have that setting or it won't start. Uh, and SSHD, the authentication success failure log messages have changed format slightly and now include the certificate fingerprint. Uh, previously, that was only included uh, the key ID and the CA key fingerprint. Um, so if you have something that's uh, logging or processing those, you're going to want to watch out for that change. Um, but it means you'll actually know which certificate uh, they logged in with now. So primarily, uh, 7.9 is a bug fix release, um, but some interesting new stuff. Um, they allow most port numbers to be specified using the service name uh, for, you know, get served by name. So anything defined in ETC services, you can use the name instead of the port. Um, they allow the identity agent configuration directive to accept environment variable names. This supports the use of multiple agent sockets without needing to use fixed paths. So you can use an environment variable to tell it which SSH agent or GPG agent or whatever to talk to. Uh, SSHD now supports signaling sessions via the SSH protocol. Uh, a limited subset of signals are supported uh, and only for logins or command sessions, not for subsystems like SFTP um, that were now subject to a forced command via authorized keys or SSH config. Uh, SSH now has SSH-Q SIG to list the supported signature options, um, just like you can do uh, SSH-Q Cypher or Mac and so on to see what algorithms are supported. Um, both SSH and SSHD now have the CA signature algorithms option um, allow you to control over which signature formats are allowed. Um, for example, uh, it allows you to ban CAs that sign their certificates with SHA-1 or whatever like that. Uh, and now SSHD and SSH keygen allow key revocation lists to be uh, to revoke keys specified by their SHA-256 hash. So you can actually do revocations that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So you can block people just based on, on that. Yeah, great. That's a lot of uh, stuff. I mean, even bug fix releases are interesting and uh, important to have because especially with uh, such a widely used software as is, like SSH is, or open SSH, more like that, uh, it's important to have regular updates and bug fixes. Very nice. So, news roundup this time. For us, uh, covering MeetBSD 2018, of course, the ultimate hallway track. This is a uh, blog post from Michael Dexter over at the IX Systems blog, who were sponsoring and organizing the whole thing. And this is from the uh, conference leaflet, where they, where I was surprised to find my likeness here. I don't know if you can see it, but uh, we were sponsoring, or not we personally, but Jupiter Broadcasting. And uh, they had this little leaflet in there. Yeah, I thought about leaving that in my Airbnb to scare whoever came after <laughs> us. Oh my God, the devil worshippers again. Um, <laughs> no, no, um, that was cool, certainly. So, great conference. For me, it was the highlight for this year. It was, a, uh, a, I mean, well-organized, a lot of cool people there, good talks, just all around good conference. So, but um, reading from the uh, blog post from Michael Dexter here, uh, that um, so his uh, summary is basically founded in Poland in 2007 and first hosted in California in 2008. MeetBSD combines formal talks with unconference activities to provide a level of interactivity not found at any other BSD conference. The character of each MeetBSD is determined largely by its venue, ranging from Hacker Dojo in 2010 to Intel Santa Clara headquarters this year. That was certainly a nice venue. Um, Intel SC12 building provided a beautiful auditorium and sponsors room, plus a cafeteria for the Friday night social event and a Saturday night FreeBSD 25th anniversary celebration. The formal nature of the auditorium motivated the formation of MeetBSD's first independent program committee, and a public call for participation. So Alan and I went uh, and 
served on that program committee with a couple of other folks. Mm-hmm. That was nice. And uh, together, these resulted in a backbone uh, of talks presented by speakers from the United States, Canada, and Poland, combined with unconference activities tailored to the space. Okay, so MeetBSD Day Zero. So Day Zero of MeetBSD was a FreeBSD developer slash vendor summit hosted in the ex- exactly same auditorium where the talks would take place. And like the conference itself, the event featured a mix of scheduled talks and interactive sessions. And uh, the scheduled talks were LWPMFS, which is a lightweight persistent memory file system by Ravi Pokala, uh, evaluating Git for FreeBSD, held by Ed Mast, and NUMA by Mark Johnston. So, yeah, all these were interesting and sparked a couple of uh, discussions with the developers who were present. Uh, Ed's overview of the advantages and disadvantages of using Git for FreeBSD development was the most interesting to users and the developers, and the discussions continued into the following two days, as they normally should. And so that was the uh, vendor summit. Of course, we also did the um, Have Need One session with uh, George Neville Neal and uh, John Baldwin, and we collected a few things for FreeBSD 13. And uh, yeah, that was also uh, not not just technically interesting, but also uh, funny. If you have ever been to those, you can with those two uh, people leading that session. That's certainly uh, giving you a lot of levity as well. Okay, meet BSD day one. The first official day of meet BSD 2018 was kicked off with introductions led by MC JT Bennington of also uh, BSD now fame and a keynote. Using TrueOS to bootstrap your FreeBSD-based projects by former uh, BSD Now host Chris Moore. Yep. Uh, so that was what we were talking about in the GhostBSD segment. They kind of explained how uh, they built the tools so that anyone could make their own spin of TrueOS quite easily. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in that, that talk is, I think the videos for most of the talks from BSD are on YouTube now or will slowly appear over the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was great, and Chris did a good job of presenting that and starting the the kicking off the conference talks this way. So uh, he described a new JSON-based release infrastructure that he has exercised with uh, with FreeBSD, TrueOS, and FreeNAS. And uh, Chris' talk was followed by Intel and FreeBSD, Better Together by Ben Widowski. So the FreeBSD program uh, that was that is led at Intel who uh, gave an overview of Intel's past and current efforts supporting FreeBSD. And yeah, Ben did a a fine job there. Also, uh, you know, mentioning a few things that started uh, at the end of the, at the beginning of this year, which weren't so well uh, organized, but yeah, they, they learned something out of it as far as I can get from the uh, conference talk. Next came lunch, followed by Kamil Rutarovsky's bug detecting software in the NetBSD user land, the MK sanitizer. Uh, which was followed by five-minute lightning talks. So it's not what wasn't just talks, 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 but also intermixed with some uh, interactive parts for the audience. And for me, this kind of made the whole conference seem longer um, because you also had to know you, you went up, you talked to people, and that that was uh, interesting to have in in a conference format. And uh, after these lightning talks, Andrew Fengler uh, presented his FreeBSD, What Not to Monitor or What to Monitor, uh, his talk uh, from uh, EuroBSDCon, which also had a little bit of updates in it, and an OpenZFS panel discussion featuring OpenZFS experts Michael W. Lucas, Alan Jude, Alexander Moten, Pavel Davidek, and Dan Langill. So that was also interesting, and they covered on a couple of questions from the audience uh, about the future and... Uh, yeah, mostly the future of uh, features of ZFS, not how do I, you know, reconfigure my pool to do X. It was more uh, people who are who know who knew ZFS and how it works, but wanted to know what's what's in stock in the future, what's the features that right. are coming next. What what's coming next? When can I? When will I be able to do X or Y? Um, but yeah, it was we had uh, good questions. I was a little worried if we ran out of questions, <laughs> how we would fill the time. Uh, but luckily, the audience was all awake and uh, interested in talking about ZFS. Yep. And so day one concluded with a social event at the Intel cafeteria, where the discussions continued into the night. Yep. And uh, good time talking to people. 
Oh yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I mean, you, you see people um, during the breaks, but then you start talking, and then oh, we have to go back to our seats because the next talks are starting. And uh, over lunch or for over dinner, there's uh, more time since uh, there's not not much uh, else following, and so you can you know mingle with more people and you know move between tables and you know st- talk longer or catch up on things. Uh, meet Beastie Day Two. Uh, kicked off with a keynote by Michael W. Lucas entitled Why BSD? So, yeah, that started with Hello, all you fine people at Benedict. Um, it's There will be a recording so you can see what... Uh, yeah, that was cool. Um, <laughs> and uh, where Michael detailed what makes the BSD community different and why it attracts us all and his personal uh, journey into the BSDs, you know, as a sysadmin and later as an author. And that was... Uh, that, that struck a couple of courts at least within me so I, I saw a lot of things that were similar and the reasons why uh, I stayed with the BSDs or st- sticking around are some of these the same ones that he mentioned um, that one was followed by Dr. Kirk McCusick's The Early Days of BSD Talk uh, which was followed by D-Trace slash D-Watch in production by Devin Teske so, so she showed a couple of new things that she added since uh, BSD Can 2018 to her D-Watch tool yeah, uh, Kirk's talk was also interesting because it was choose your own adventure. Uh, oh yeah, it's like you know, pick pick one of these three topics for uh, which which part of the history do you want me to tell? Uh, <laughs> sadly, we we didn't have quite enough votes to get the story of the the AT and T lawsuit. Mm, yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was close. To hear about <laughs> IPv4. <laughs> Big deal. Yeah, but but still, Kirk has a way of you know. Mm-hmm spontaneously coming up uh, like reminiscing all these old uh, stories that we were just too young to be witnessing ourselves so yeah that was a good uh, trip down memory lane um after lunch uh, we enjoyed a curmudgeon's language selection criteria why i don't write everything in go rust elixir etc by uh, clifford williams and uh, after that best practices of sandboxing applications with capsicum by mario saborski uh Michael Dexter, no, Michael Dexter, yeah. Then, <laughs> I keep mixing them up. Uh, he hosted a virtualization panel discussion that featured eight developers from FreeBSD, uh, OpenBSD and NetBSD in total. And that was also good because a lot of questions from uh, the audience, uh, Michael had to run around with the microphone a lot. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was certainly a good session to see you know, what each project is working on and how each one is taking a different step at virtualization itself. But Overall, there are uh, some good uh, projects and progress being made, so it's interesting to see that from that perspective. And um, they then, then everyone split up for breakout sessions. I went out for, I don't know, to get food or something, because when I came back, everyone was standing in little groups, and I was like, oh, what's going on here? Oh, and then I remembered the breakout sessions. Um, yeah, there was one on high-performance computing, one about the... Um the Bloomberg story about the chips embedded in motherboards. Uh, that's the one I went to. I think there was one about networking, like uh, hundred gigabit network performance stuff. Um, and then two or three other ones. <clears throat> it, uh, it worked well. We broke into small groups and everybody got to talk about something they were interested in. Yeah. And so today wrapped up with a final talk, Tales of a Damon Town Performance Peddler, Why It Depends and What You Can Do About It by Nick Principe. Um, that was interesting because he had a lot of insights into you know, performance measuring for uh, systems and uh, or disks in particular. So that was interesting to see that from a, from a different angle. And uh, then it was time for the FreeBSD 25th anniversary celebration at the Intel uh, cafeteria so they uh, put up balloons and we also had a little visit of beastie itself so that was certainly nice to wrap up not only the conference but also celebrate a little bit the uh, 25th anniversary of FreeBSD. since we came a long way and we might as well celebrate that it's uh it took us uh, a lot of effort to get there it took and us 25 next... years to get to be a 25 year old project <laughs> yeah yeah and of course turns for out the that's next not one you years. can shortcut <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, you have to live through all that. <laughs> yeah, and so putting the meat in meat BSD, uh, 
so Dexter here confesses the other organizers and he were actually a little bit nervous about how well one large auditorium would suit a BSD event, but the flexible personal space it gave everyone allowed for countless meetings and heated hacking that often brought about immediate results. He watched people take ideas through several iterations with the help and input of obvious and unexpected experts, all of whom were within reach. And not having to pick up and leave for a talk in another room organically resulted in essentially a series of mini hackathons that none of us or of them anticipated, but were delighted to witness taking the hallway track to a whole new level. The mix of formal and unconference activities at MeetBSD is certain to evolve. And uh, he thanks everyone who participated with questions, lightning talks, and panel participation. And a huge thanks to our sponsors. Yes, definitely, including Intel for both hosting and sponsoring MeetBSD California 2018, Western Digital, Supermicro, Verisign, Jupiter Broadcasting, the FreeBSD Foundation, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, the NetBSD Foundation, and last but not least, the team at iX Systems. And closes with, see you at MeetBSD 2020. Yeah, uh, I like the mix of conference and unconference we had. Um, it's different than previous MeetBSDs, but I don't think any two MeetBSDs have ever been the same, and that's kind of the point. Um, <clears throat> and part of it comes down to what's interesting at the time or which people are there and, and so on, and it allows us to adapt. Uh, but yes, I liked... Um, the auditorium made the group seem a little small if you were in the room, but then when you saw us all at uh, in the cafeteria, it was like, oh, there's lots of people. It was so yeah. weird. It's like, you know, it's, I don't see any faces I didn't see in the other one. It's just the auditorium is a bit bigger than it looks. Uh, but that worked out because it meant everybody could be, you know, you could sit with a whole bunch of people if you wanted, or you could kind of sit more by yourself if you want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know. Uh, I saw, I did see a bunch of people hacking on stuff, and uh, it was also great when I was uh, helping somebody debug something, and then somebody'd hear a keyword that got their attention, and suddenly there's five of us, and we were figuring out what was going on. Yeah, and for me personally, it was a good um, way of talking to people that I only see typically just once a year at BSD Can, mm -hmm. um, because a lot of them don't travel that much or don't come to European conferences or other events, so. That being in the U.S., I had a, a chance to, you know, catch up since uh, MeetBSD and, you know, continue talking to them a little bit longer because I see other people at almost all the other BSD conferences. So I try to make as much time as possible um, with those people who I don't see that often. So, yeah, definitely. And also talk to new people, of course, and people mm -hmm. who uh, know us, knew us from the show, of course. And, uh, yeah, that was great to see the community uh, growing and uh all the, the excitement in the room that certainly always keeps me coming back. Yeah. And yeah, I would say about the same thing. I, I made a point of not talking to you very much. Yeah, Alan and I were just, hi, Alan, hi, Benedict, and just walked out. Yeah. Because we talk all the time. We might as well uh, so use like, the time with the people. I just saw there. you on Wednesday. It's only Friday. Go away. Yeah, what, what's new? Yeah, it's uh, nothing. Okay, then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, it would happen the same if, if it would be different people in, in this chat or in this yep. um, broadcast. So perfect time to mingle with other people. Yep. All so right. Next story. Yeah. Uh, for the Dragonfly folks, we have a setup here with a uh, how to set up the Dragonfly BSD operating system with a desktop on real hardware. And the desktop hardware is, in this case, the ThinkPad T410. Yeah, uh, so I think we covered a tutorial uh, from, I think, the same author uh, recently when they did OpenBSD, but they also tried Dragonfly on the same hardware. And so they say, oh. you know, Linux has become too mainstream <laughs> and standard BSD is a common thing now. So let's try Dragonfly, <laughs> which is a fork created out of FreeBSD 4.8 many, many, many years ago. It's been a while, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they're showing it off. So they uh, say so they also tried GhostBSD and TrueOS, and they have reviews there if you're interested in see what they thought of those. So they uh, grabbed the Lenovo T410, which is a, an old uh, Core i7 with 8 gigs of RAM, and they uh, wrote the image 
to a USB drive with Win32 Disk Imager and booted up OpenBSD or sorry Dragonfly BSD's installer. Uh, so you set your keyboard profile uh, in case you have a non-US keyboard. Set the root password. Create a user, um, and you got to make sure to add yourself to the wheel group uh, because otherwise you can't use SU to switch to root. Set up your networking and host name and so on. And once you got the system up, uh, they upgraded the packages, installed Xorg and FFCE and, and Nano, uh, configured Dbus, Haldi, Mousty, etc. Start XFCE, and then they installed you know Firefox, LibreOffice, VLC, HTOP, etc. Uh, configured the sound drivers to load at boot. Uh, made sure it played out the right uh, sound device by default. And they were good to go. And then they installed some games, uh, Chocolate Doom, uh, Assault Cube, OpenTTD. That's a vote for me. That's uh, an open source clone of Transport Tycoon Deluxe. Yes, like an, create an train, train tracks set. and locking signals. And oh, dear. Yes. Um, <laughs> the open source one allows longer trains and more complex signals than the original game. Oh, <laughs> Ah, the fun. Still play that from time to time. Uh, so much fun. Yeah, this is where all the locking problems are coming from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it'd be a good way to visualize them. <laughs> yeah, and uh, see what, what happens if you don't make it. <laughs> then they have uh, using Wi-Fi Manager to configure the Wi-Fi, uh, enabling PowerD to save some battery, using uh, APM to watch better usage, Configuring the lid switch so that the machine will automatically suspend when you close the lid, all that kind of stuff. I uh, say upsides is that it was free and open source with a long history. The drivers work for Ethernet, Wi-Fi, 2D, and 3D video. Uh, they like the Hammer 2 file system and thought that was neat. Um, they said the downsides was that it didn't have as many drivers or direct app support as Linux. And the installer and desktop have some uh, quirks and required him to do a bit more manual work than uh, some of the other OSs. Mm -hmm. But that's an interesting review of Dragonfly. Yeah, and you can build a perfectly fine uh, desktop out of that and uh, use it as your main work rig. Uh, speaking of MeetBSD, one of the people we met at MeetBSD uh, has a post here about her work to port Keybase, the uh, online. It's like a, I don't know how to describe Keybase. It's it's not a cloud version of GPG. It's just a verification service. It's well, it's almost a social network based around the web of trust without the nasty parts of a social network <laughs> yeah without having to show each other id and stuff or uh doing well, it's uh, basically yes uh, it allows you to say here's my key and i've proved that that twitter account is the same person as this key and i've proved that that github account is the same person as this key and you can send encrypted messages back and forth so it's just mm. a, a more usable version of gpg yeah you can describe it that way <clears throat> And yeah, so she uh, has a blog post about uh, porting Keybase to NetBSD. And that starts off with that Keybase significantly simplifies the whole key pair slash PGP thing and makes what is usually a confusing, difficult experience actually rather pleasant. At its heart, it's an open source command line utility that does all of the heavy cryptographic lifting but it's also hooked up to the network of all other Keybase users, so you don't have to work very hard to maintain big keychains. Pretty cool. So this evening, uh, she tried to get it all to work on NetBSD, or at least the evening of that blog post. Um, the Keybase client codebase is, in her opinion, not very well architected. There exist many different Keybase clients, command line apps, desktop apps, mobile apps. And for some reason, the code for all of them are seemingly in the single repository without even using Git submodules. Not mm. sure what's that about. So anyway, Go building the command line program, it's written in Go, failed immediately because there's some platform-specific code, oh, here we go, that just does not seem to recognize that NetBSD exists, but they do for FreeBSD and OpenBSD. 
Looks like the Keybase developers maintain a Golang wrapper around struct proc, which of course is different from operating system to operating system. So uh, I literally just copy-pasted the OpenBSD wrapper, renamed it to NetBSD, and the build basically succeeded from there. <laughs> this, of course, is super janky and untrustworthy, but it seems to mostly just work. So <laughs> I, I don't yeah. think there'd be much difference in struct-proc between net and open. Yeah, as long as the, the underlying uh, structures haven't changed, uh, the data structures. Yeah, I don't think they have. Could basically work, yeah. So she forked the GitHub repo. You can see the diff on top of Keybase 2.7.3 at that uh, uh, GitHub link here. And eventually she ended up with a slash go slash bin Keybase, which launches just fine in her home directory, meaning I can, well, main okay. But the moment you try to do anything interesting, it looks super scary. So you can see the output here. A couple of errors here. Ooh, what's going on? Um. Yeah, some attempts, some timeouts, some more weird questions or uh, queries here. There's a uh, few things about this error message that stuck out to me. Forking a background server? What? It's trying to connect to localhost? That must be the server that doesn't work. Unfortunately, this non-functional background server sticks around even when a command was simple as login command just failed. So you can see the PS output. And uh, I'm not exactly sure what the intended purpose of the background server even is, but fortunately we can kill it and even tell the keybase command to not even spawn one. So yeah, you can say standalone here with a switch and then uh, we can fix wanting to connect to localhost by specifying an expected keybase API server. How about the one hosted at https keybase.io? Yeah, so you specify that and basically what I'm trying to say is that if you specify both of these options, the keybase command does what I expect on NetBSD. Cool. Nice. Yeah, I mean, warnings running in develop mode, that's fine. Um, but other than that, seems to work as intended. Yes, uh, so thanks for posting that, Charlotte. Mm -hmm. And lastly, we have a commit to FreeBSD that I found particularly interesting. Uh, Bjorn Zieb has committed an initial implementation of uh, Internet Engineering Task Force draft six-man IPv6 only flag. So this change defines a router advertisement 6, or IPv6 only, flag, which routers may advertise. Uh, it adds kernel logic to check if all routers on a link have the flag set, um, and accordingly update the per-interface flags. So if all routers agree that um, this is an IPv6 only link, um, the ether output frame function, based on the interface flag, will filter out all um, ethertype IP and uh, ARP packets, or frames. So if you try to send IPv4 uh, packets or ARP packets on an interface where the routers are advertising that this link is for IPv6 only, uh, you will actually get address family not supported errors back uh, to the application. Mm. The change also updates the NDP, or Neighbor Discovery Protocol command, uh, to show a little six flag uh, beside each of the hosts that are advertising it. And if config now can display an IPv6 only uh, ND6 flag so that uh, you know that any neighbors you discover on that link are going to be v6 only. And the RTADVD, uh, so router advertisement daemon, uh, allows you to announce it so you can have your FreeBSD router tell everybody else on the link that this link is for v6 only mm -hmm. uh, there's also some changes to tcb dump to be able to uh, understand the new flag and that's in the process of being upstreamed into tcb dump uh, so this code has been tested on uh, with two freebsd routers a freebsd laptop uh, on ethernet as well as wi-fi and they also did interoperability testing with Windows 10 and OS 10 clients um, who both don't know what this six flag is, but continue to work anyway. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Bjorn also notes so that we may want to implement uh, receive filters so that if any V4 packets do show up on the link, that uh, we'll ignore them when they come in. And uh, B, over time, enhance user space to do things like have dh client not try to send requests on a link where 
we've marked it as V6 only. Uh, also, possibly making it so that V6 starts before V4, so that it can detect this situation where we've declared this network as V6 only. Ah, I see. So all of this code is hidden uh, behind the compile flag experimental. So you have to enable the experimental option in your kernel for this to happen so that it won't possibly mess up your current network. And it's not compiled by default uh, as the draft is a work in progress and we can't rely on the fact that uh, IANA will assign the specific bits of the header the same as the draft has. So once this becomes a standard, where the flag is in the bit field will be locked, and this will no longer be experimental. I see. Okay, so we already see uh, drafts being implemented. Yeah, so this basically, FreeBSD is the reference implementation of the Internet Engineering Task Force uh, IPv6 only network uh, system or protocol. Mm-hmm. Not the first time, actually, where FreeBSD nope. is the test bed or the first reference uh, implementation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're on the networking side, uh, making the usual progress. Um, I also get the feeling that Bjorn is somehow behind the idea of having an IPv6 <laughs> only network flag. Yeah, he he wants to uh, push that. Yeah, <laughs> seems like. <laughs> okay, very nice. So, time for a long list of Beastie Bits this week, um, but nevertheless worthwhile covering. Uh, starting off with a Dan's other diary, running FreeBSD on macOS via XHive. So, people have been asking about how to run, how do I run Beehive on macOS 10? And Dan has posted that a while ago already, and so we cover it here. So, Beehive is a hypervisor slash virtual machine manager developed on FreeBSD, and XHive is a port of Beehive to OS 10. That's where the name's coming from. Um, it is built on top of the hypervisor framework in OS 10, 10.10 Yosemite and higher, runs entirely in user space and has no other dependencies. And uh, usually uses Mac ports but ran into trouble with XHive, so this morning he tried Homebrew instead. And so basically you start brew install dash dash head XHive and it clones it for you, creates it for you and in the usual brew uh, way of doing things, it's quick and easy. You don't have to do much. And once it's done, you have your xhive command here, and then you create a virtual disk with make file. Uh, you name it however you want, and you can define how big it should be. In this case, it's 50 gigs here. And then you create a little install script. You can copy the one from Dan and uh, make necessary adjustments. And he installs FreeBSD 11.2 release here in this one. Uh, creates an interesting <laughs> UUID. It's a perfect fit for our Halloween episode here. And after that, it's the long XHive call because it needs a couple of parameters, but uh, you then nicely put it into shell variables so it's easy to change. And once you start that, you run the script, and here's your familiar FreeBSD booting, and you can install it into your little um, virtual disk that you created, and then you have your little XHive or your FreeBSD on your macOS 10 can come in handy for tests and just uh, demoing FreeBSD or if you just can't have FreeBSD running any any anyway else, that's uh, a good way to eat your own dog food, basically. Yeah, well, it's super handy for development, especially if you're doing things that might crash. Uh, crashing the VM instead of your laptop is very useful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it keeps you from uh, swearing and cursing and needing to reboot. So, yeah, it's a good way. And thanks, Dan, for... Um, documenting that and then hopefully more people will use xhive and yeah find bugs or start developing on that maybe yep uh when we talked to michael w lucas before meet bsd he mentioned that he was going to be auctioning off a an open bsd book and a free bsd book uh and both of those uh auctions have gone through so yeah. the auctions are now over uh, they actually ended uh, late on saturday but I suspect Sunday traveling and couldn't get the post up. Um, so the OpenBSD auction uh, went to Jared, who bid $1,000, uh, crushing poor CyberMonk, who bid less. And uh, But CyberMonk did triumph for the FreeBSD auction uh, with a top bid of $325. Um, so what uh, 
they got was copies of the latest absolute whichever bsd book um signed by a bunch of the developers so at the um for the FreeBSD one, it's got lots of little things in it. I think some developers added their own footnotes. Uh, Kirk drew some custom art on one of the pages. Um, I put some stuff in the installer or the the Gelly and the installer pages, and uh, people added stuff all over the book. So yeah, really, it was you, you. You paid for a defaced book rather than rather than just autographs. It's mostly got <laughs> snarky comments and extra footnotes and. Uh, yeah, I saw people going to the index and see, ah, where's the software I'm, I'm mostly involved with? Ah, there, okay, page 200, I don't know. Yeah. And then they go there and make little annotations and, yeah, oh, I, it took so long to develop this and I don't yes, know. I, <laughs> <It's>... um, <clears throat> I know there's one section that, uh, so John Baldwin has reviewed all three editions of the book that have come out over the last, like, 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and only lot. this time did he spot an error that's been there since the beginning. Oh, oops. <laughs> and so he left a note about it in the latest edition uh, for the, the copy that Cyberman got saying, you know, I apologize for the fact that this has been wrong in every other edition of this book, but I assure you it's right now. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect reason to get the new edition and to have the latest and corrected version available. And a lot of people I see that on, on Twitter, they pick it up and look at, uh, uh, look forward to reading it and learn a few new tricks for, for, B, for FreeBSD. And yeah, it seems like a good uh, start for a, for a book. Yep. Okay, then next up we have OpenBSD Principles. So this is OpenSSH principles. Oh, OpenSSH, of course, SSH principles. Um, so this is incorporated into many commercial products, but very few of those companies assist OpenSSH with funding. And uh, so they talk a little bit about uh, how to get started and how to create a certificate authority. And then uh, the principles part is that uh, while the concept is similar to X509, commonly used in TLS, OpenSSH certificates are different format. Uh, they contain much less information, but it doesn't mean that they are less useful. In fact, OpenSSH certificates allow fine-grained control to local users and hosts with security principles. And that is how you uh, can set that up. So you can see the examples here and how to create the host certificates and then verify them and create user certificates after that. And that's mostly familiar tools, SSH keygen, and copying the uh, proper keys around and signing them. So yeah, if you're interested in creating your, not just uh, enhancing your uh, authority, or SSH authority, but also adding the principles to it, then check out that GitHub article. <laughs> Useful tutorial. Uh, and then the OpenBSD Foundation announces their second uh, Iridium donation from Handshake, uh, which is um, a project trying to do decentralized certificate authority and naming. Uh, so it seems like uh, so an experimental peer-to-peer -peer root DNS with like built-in Let's Encrypt or something. Uh, it seems very interesting. Yep. The... Uh uh, the FreeBSD Foundation also got a donation from them, and so thanks to the Handshake folks for donating to both uh, the OpenBSD and the FreeBSD Foundation. And so for OpenBSD, it was their second Iridium donation, which is a lot of money and goes to a good purpose because it keeps OpenBSD development and, uh, yeah, generally uh, the project uh, monetary resources that they sometimes need um, flowing. Yeah, you know, making sure that people get to... Uh, the OpenBSD hackathons and hardware purchases, <laughs> right, hardware like and that. so on, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so great. Thanks for uh, that donation. And next up, we have NetBSD machines at Open Source Conference 2018 in Kagawa. And uh, so that's a little uh, announcement here, or um, uh, NetBSD advocacy. Uh, the Japan NetBSD's user group held both had a booth at the Open Source Conference 2018 in Kagawa on October 6th. So here's the, a couple of links to the conference website, and there's a picture, a Twitter picture of the booth that they had. Of course, you can see the, all the interesting hardware that NetBSD runs on, and that's uh, probably only available in Japan or in Asian <laughs> regions. 
So that's cool. And um, they, show, they show a couple of the systems that they had. So if you've ever wanted to see that BSD X68K on XM6i, then there it is. Well, it's uh, certainly cool to have all these different devices running NetBSD. Okay, uh, Omax player running NetBSD uh, ARMv7 with a laser projector. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, a NetBSD 8 i386 on EPC, uh, as well as a NetBSD tourist guide available. Oh, yeah, to the to the actual conference. And they okay. provide the Raspberry Pi images and some more pictures uh, on the uh, announcement here. So if you're interested yeah, in that. I think there's a PDF of slides and there's lots of information if you can uh, parse through some of the Japanese. Mm. <laughs> uh, but lots of pictures of, of interesting hardware if you're interested. Yeah, excellent. Good stuff promoting NetBSD in, in Japan. And so, connected to what we already mentioned, that uh, NetBSD, Absolute FreeBSD is now shipping from Michael W. Lucas. It took a while because there were some holdups, but now it's finally available in bookstores. And definitely check it out. Uh, it's a short and sweet announcement from Michael W. Lucas. Amazon can deliver and NSP has copies. So, he thinks he can finally say it. Absolute FreeBSD is now shipping. Yep. And here's the obligatory gratitude's new book selfie. Yep. There it is. So, uh, if you want to get the ebook and print bundle together, if you go over to No Starch Press and use the coupon code I Love Michael, uh, that's I L U V M I C H A E L, um, they'll give you 30% off any No Starch Press purchase and it also uh, kicks a few dollars back to Michael. Uh, and you'll be able to get a discount on the ebook and print version together. Or you can just buy it on Amazon, whichever you prefer. Mm -hmm. and, and as always, the ebook is DRM free. Yes, that's also important uh, to know. If you are supporting Michael Lucas this way, then get the DRM free version of that book because why not? Um, so, next up is uh, we have an article here about Nextcloud on OpenBSD. Uh, interestingly enough named um, URL or the <laughs> domain name heartbleed.nl with uh, the E's replaced by threes because why not? Yeah. Uh, so they walked through setting up Nextcloud uh, including installing Postgres, PHP 7 uh, and a caching file locking uh, and so on with APCU and Redis. Uh, so they show how you set it up uh, let yourself, or, well, they configure do as uh, and SSH uh, on the server first, um, but then they uh, install the Postgres server, install PHP, uh, configure PHP, enable the Postgres server, uh, get all that running, then uh, configure their web server, give it the Let's Encrypt fun, uh, set up Nextcloud. Get that set up uh, and running. Enable the OpenBSD web server. Do the OCSP stapling. And enable the um, Let's Encrypt cron tab. Um, yeah, don't forget that. Finish setting up SSL. Set up all the config directory stuff. And more importantly, set up the PHP fast CGI socket so that you'll be able to execute the PHP code. Get the Postgres database uh, configured with initDB. Get that all running. Get your PHP sorted out. Uh, install the APCU module for caching. And then just download and install Nextcloud. Hook it up to yeah. the database, and there you go. And they also have a troubleshooting section. Oh, yeah, in case something goes wrong or some uh, beginner mistakes come up, then, uh, yeah. But ultimately, you have then Nextcloud on a secure operating system in the cloud, and you can keep your data on uh, OpenBSD. There you go. 
next is the FreeBSD 12.0 Beta 2 uh, announcement available. So we're almost there, just a little bit longer. Uh, but for people who want to try it out, and we encourage you to do that, because the more stuff you find in those betas, the more uh, fixes that we need, the better, because those can still go into the final 12.0 release. And if people not test it and just think everything will be fine, then it's too late when the release is coming out. So test is out. The betas are almost the final thing. But maybe if you discover here and there a couple of things that still need to be fixed. And yeah, definitely report those. Create a uh, bug report and bugzilla for it. And then we have a chance to fix it before it goes into the final one. Yep. Uh, some de debugging stuff that was left on has been disabled uh, in beta 2. Uh, the time zone's been updated because uh, the time zone database changed recently. Um, they fixed a panic that could happen if you combined lag and VLANs together. Uh, glad they fixed that because I do exactly that. Um, <laughs> they added the ability to prevent uh, interruption to the boot process without entering a password. Um, and they uh, fixed an off by one error that could lead to a system panic in the sound driver. Uh, and they've also modified the uh, Mellanox ConnectX6 driver to be able to notify when a port on a uh, ConnectX6 card has been turned off due to insufficient power. If you actually don't have enough electricity to run all the ports on the card, uh, you get a useful error message now instead of not. Hmm. Okay. And there's also been some updates to the Linux compatibility layer and uh, deprecation warnings added to a bunch of older... Uh, 10 and 100 megabit network cards that will be removed in FreeBSD 13 in a couple of years. Uh, so you'll have uh, plenty of notice uh, that your hardware is only supported for a couple more years uh, if you're running FreeBSD 12. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah. the release announcement includes download links for the regular CD or memstick images, but also pre-built VMs if you don't want to go through the install phase or pre-built QMU systems or Amazon systems or Vagrant systems and so on and so on. Mm, yep. And cool. all of the SHAs of all of the files are included here in the mailing list. Uh, and that entire mailing list message is GPG signed uh, by the release engineer. So that's the right way to verify the checksums. Sure. Very cool. Then uh, next a reminder up. Reminder from the video we featured the other week uh, that, in fact, uh, Microsoft has ported Dtrace to Windows from FreeBSD, though. Uh, they didn't start from the original upstream Illumos. They started with a version that's in FreeBSD. Yeah, so now you can hell, hell, hold a candle into a dark uh, place and see what kind of bugs are screwing around. So, yeah, yep. it's uh, And I think George has managed to reach out to the right people and working on getting the uh, Windows port of Dtrace to be part of the Open Dtrace project. Oh, even better, yeah, for a long-term uh, sustainable yep. collaborative effort there. Great, yeah, so definitely... Detrace all the things on Windows, find all the stuff, how it works internally, and what crazy things software is doing behind the scenes now that you can look at it. And yeah, make sure to have a look. And then we have a couple of announcements for upcoming uh, events since the year is not over yet and people are still meeting about the BSDs. Um, the first thing that we have is Hellbug, H-E-L-B-O-G. Uh, fall 2018 meeting has been scheduled for Thursday, the 15th of November. Yep. So if you're in Finland, especially Helsinki, uh, the if you go to hellbug.fi uh, or the HellBSD user group with one L because Helsinki, um, the um, that's when the Finnish will be having their BSD user group. Uh, and uh, they note that they've had FreeBSD and OpenBSD and Dragonfly BSD users, but they still haven't seen a NetBSD person attend the bug. So they had an extra invitation for anybody interested in NetBSD to come out to the Helsinki BSD user group. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Then 
What's next? Yeah, the 35C3, the Chaos Communication Congress, pre-sale has started, so uh, people should know about this. So they might think, whoa, why is this so expensive all of a sudden? Uh, because it includes a public transport ticket in the price. So that's why. So the pre-sale has started. You can go to the ticket shop. We provide – so uh, the, the event is in German. Well, it's not completely in German, but there are also a couple of English-speaking talks. Uh, but we provide you the – uh, Google translated page here of the, the German website that they have. And if you're interested in that conference, which happens between the years, so after Christmas, if you're around, uh, you can go to Germany. And I think it's in Leipzig because they, they moved around a couple of times because they keep growing and growing and they ran out of venue space. Um, but this year they're in Leipzig again. And that's a lot of um, cool stuff about, you know, uh, Security events, hacking-related uh, things, social um, aspects of computing. Um, that's certainly a, a nice conference uh, if you're still not too tired this year <laughs> to go to conferences. And I hear there's also going to be a BSD assembly there. And if we know more details, then we'll mention it on the show, of course. And there will be a couple of people meeting there about uh, your favorite operating system. Uh, and then for user groups, we also have the Stockholm BSD user group. So don't feel left out if you don't live in Sweden. If you're in, or if you don't live in Finland, if you're in Sweden, um, the BSD user group's fourth meetup will be Tuesday, November thirteenth, from six to nine thirty uh, p.m. And the meetup link is there, so you can register and show up. Uh, and it will be again at uh, B3's offices in Central Stockholm. Yep, conveniently located in the central station, so easy to reach. And uh, last but not least, the Polish Beast user group is meeting on Thursday, November 15, and they are still looking for uh, participants or new all speakers even. Yep, So uh, if they do three different talks at each uh, Polish group. They have uh, an intro level, an advanced level, and a not BSD talk. Uh, yeah, so, so there should be make something. Make sure that there's something interesting for everyone and so that everybody gets exposed to things from outside the community as well. Uh, so that meeting will be back at the Wheel Systems offices again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent. Uh, so that's also a nice way of, you know, reconnecting. And I guess Marius Saborski will be there and report from his MeetBSD experiences. And yes. yeah, uh, I don't way. have the link handy, but um, if you're interested in helping getting or getting involved, helping run the Polish BSD user group, um, they've got a post out, I think, on their Twitter account about that. If you want to check that out as well. Excellent. So that's it for our Beastie Bits this week. So there's a couple of things and going to feedback and questions. Starting off with Greg. Uh, with an interview suggestions for the sh uh, or a suggestion for the show, always good to have those. Starts with hi, longtime listener of the show. I have a suggestion for your show. Excellent. Uh, is it possible that you make an interview with Jim Salter? He's the author and maintainer of Sanoid Project, which orchestrates snapshot management and replication on the ZFS file system. Here we go. Sounds interesting to me. <laughs> yep. Why not? Um, here are two links where we can uh, find more information. Uh, if you won't be able to make the interview, I believe that many of us will be pleased to hear your review of Sanoid and Syncoid and preferably a comparison with ZX for, or at least a mention in the show in one of your segments. Okay, we covered that, but we'll uh, be digging deeper. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever, uh, Whatever you'll do, as much information as possible would be appreciated. Thanks, Greg. Oh, yes. yes I've uh, never heard so about this before. Uh, we'll reach out to him and see. And uh, either way, we'll uh, have to look into this Sanoid and Syncoid. Uh, I've not used them before, but they sound interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for the suggestions. Would be nice to have a little, uh, you know, interview for as as the year comes to a close. And if it makes people interested in that, it's a win for everyone. Okay, thanks, Greg. Uh, next up is Nelson with the ghost script vulnerability. Uh, starts like this. There are new ghost script vulnerabilities that deserve a brief mention on the next BSD Now TV podcast. This one. Uh, as well as immediate action by packagers of ghost script for the uh, BSD families of operating systems, most of which are far behind in their, post, in their ghost script 
versions. So here's a copy of part of a message that I just posted to our campus IT list about the problem and how to upgrade to the latest Ghost script versions. So there's a couple of major vulnerabilities that uh, allows remote takeover of systems and critical flaws could leave and, many uh, systems at risk of hacking. Yep, and uh, apparently there wasn't a fix at the time that the email went out. Ah, yes, okay. So hopefully maintainers of um, ports and packages are aware of that and have provided patches. Are there patches at the first? Yeah, I think there are. I think there are now. There just weren't originally. Yeah. <clears throat> ah, yeah, by installing locally built versions of the latest 9.5 software versions of those Ghost script packages. Yep. Okay, good to know, because these seem serious enough to uh, warrant a more wider uh, yes. distribution uh, than just... Uh, and when they weren't yet in the CVE database, that meant they probably weren't in XML, so that package audit wouldn't notify you that they were vulnerable. So thank you very much for the heads up. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, the last one for this week is from Allison about GCC. Uh, asking, is GCC mucking about again? I've noticed that a bunch of ports not required a flag users equals compiler um, colon C++ 11 dash lang added when it wasn't needed before. What's this about? I'm not sure exactly. Mostly, I think, is that the version of GCC that's built into FreeBSD uh, is very old, right? It's the very last GPLv2 version. Uh, so it's more than 10 years old. Uh, yeah. And of course, therefore, doesn't support uh, C plus plus twenty eleven because that was many years in the future at the last time we got a newer version of GCC and FreeBSD. Um, yeah. Once that setting is there, I think it means you will use either newer GCC or newer Clang um, that supports at least C plus plus eleven. I think it's mostly just that software has started to slowly start using the newer. Uh, code and features of the uh, uh, of the programming language. Yeah, and so the the old compiler cannot make heads and tails of what what these new features or these flags can do. So that's yeah. why. Uh, but I uh, think ports will update slowly. Yeah. Uh, well, in particular, we're looking at eventually being able to get rid of GCC from base just because it's an outdated version and we can't have a newer version because of licensing. Yes, of course, we want to eventually be in a. Uh, GCC-free environment. I mean, in parts, it's different, um, but for the base system utilities, that's um, in the in the making for a long time, and uh, we're, we're we see the finish line. At the, I'm, not, I'm not sure how far the horizon is, but <laughs> it's a lot of people have been working for it over the years, and we hope to have finally a version of that is um, capable of you know building a whole system without any GCC uh, requirements. And yeah, otherwise, if, if it's a specific port, then report that to the uh, port maintainer and ask what the what the problem there is or whether that flag could, could help, and that should uh, resolve it. We're still in the, the release um, for the next major version of FreeBSD in this case, um, which could also uh, be a reason. Uh, I doubt it. Uh, this is ports. It's this not is fairly thick. Database. Okay. Well, then, um, hopefully that has been cleaned up. And uh, that's the pretty much the end of our feedback and questions section, as well as the actual show for today. Remember, anything that you find is worthwhile, and especially in the BSD space, uh, worthwhile adding to the show. Send it to us. Any questions, comments, show ideas that you might have for uh, or stories that you came up with or found on the internet. Send all of that to feedback at bsdnow.tv, and we'll cover it in a future episode. Yep. Thanks for watching. Thank you, and see you next week. <laughs>